Let's do it. Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call? We'll be glad to put you right at the top of the list and get your questions answered. That's right. Right now, it's the perfect time to call. Oh, it is. We've got plenty of time. Got all our lines wide open. And I see we've got Keith on the line already. Good morning, Keith. Louis, how you doing? Doing great, sir. Good. Got the Toyota Tacoma. Okay. 3.4 four-wheel drive truck. Okay. I've talked to you about it before. It stumbles between 3,000 and 4,000 RPM under load. Okay. Uh, I did what you recommended. I changed my spark plugs with okay. Toyota and mm-hmm. I replaced the wires. Okay. Still has about, I've cured about 95% of it. Okay. Do you think it could possibly still be the call pack? Keith, that is a possibility, but not the one I would look at first. Simply because that's expensive and it's rare. So okay. what you want to do... With diagnosis, you know, if you don't have a lab scope and all the stuff to check it, if you're going to do your own diagnosis, the best thing to do is let's pick the most common things first and let's pick the cheapest things first okay. and then work our way up from there. The first thing I would be doing is try to clean the airflow meter to make sure that you don't have... See, what happens with an airflow meter, it tells the engine how much air is going into it. Right. Now, it's going to set the injectors based on what the airflow meter tells it. Okay, it's trying to keep the mixture at exactly 14.7 to 1. Okay. Now, if it doesn't accomplish that because the reading is wrong because of the airflow meter, what will happen is the oxygen sensors will say, hey, we're too rich or we're too lean, and it will override the airflow meter, and that's called fuel trim. Now, there's two times when it can't do that. One is when you just pop that throttle wide open because it takes a second for that gas to get down to those O2 sensors for it to override. So you're going to get a stumble. The other one is when it's cold, it may or may not idle rough, depending on if the mixture's too rich or too lean. It's not idling rough at all. Okay. Well, it doesn't always do that because, see, if it's too rich, then it'll idle just fine when it's cold. Okay. If it's too lean, it's going to idle rough when it's cold also. So I would try cleaning the airflow meter or having someone clean the airflow meter. You've got to be kind of careful with that because you can damage it. Toyota really doesn't like you doing that because the chance of damaging something's pretty high. If you want to have someone do it, they probably don't charge you a whole lot to, to do that. If you want to try to do it yourself, see if you can find some chemical design for that purpose and have- go real judiciously. Don't try to touch it or anything. Get like an aerosol, take the airflow meter off, and just kind of spray it on it and let it dry. I have some mass airflow cleaner. Okay. Try that. Just go judicious with it because if any gets inside the sensor, it's going to wipe it out, and you just bought about a $400 sensor. I understand. So try that next. Now, beyond that, you're pretty much up against it. You're up to the point where you're guessing, and your guesses are going to be too expensive. You'd probably be better off to bring it to someone who has the equipment and the knowledge to diagnose it, even if you want to fix it yourself. Because right. you could be into a call, but again, I mean, you could be into a sensor. You could be into all kinds of possibilities, but you could just the cost of mistakes gets real high after that. Absolutely. Well, if this doesn't fix it, I'll bring it to you. I'll call you. Probably the best bet, because that way we can diagnose, tell you what it is, even if you want to fix it yourself. It's probably some little something. And again, like I said, changing the plugs and wires, you did it yourself, didn't cost you a whole lot, probably need to do it anyway. That's the best way to try to diagnose something yourself. Okay. All righty. Well, thank you, Lewis. Appreciate okay, it. Okay, Keith. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. I right, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. There is a time, I guess, when... Folks can do things like that for themselves, and it does make a measure of sense. For instance, with Keith, uh, he's smart enough to know that 
I'm not going to go and start changing all these high dollar components. If you want to put a set of spark plugs in your car and it needs plugs anyway, and you want to see if it's going to do it, then you're not hurting anything. Then you're not hurting anything because it right. needed if plugs it needed anyway, anyway. It's fairly inexpensive. Even Some, a set of wires is yeah. probably inexpensive. If you got a hundred thousand miles, it probably needs them anyway. You're not really going to hurt anything. But now when you jump up and you start putting electronic spark control modules or crank sensors or cam sensors or airflow meters, now you're jumping into some big bucks with right. almost no chance of fixing the problem, the strong possibility of creating other problems. Exactly, especially if you're changing parts with some substandard parts. Oh, I'm telling you, and fortunately on a Toyota, you got the, the luxury of being able to go back to Toyota to buy one, and if you buy one, it's probably going to be a good one. Right. But let's say you got a General Motors product. Now, you're pretty much in a pickle because you may go back to GM and buy an airflow meter. I have gone through five of them before I found one even met their specs. That's right. One so, car. Yeah, on one car. You're almost better to go to a junkyard and try to find <laughs> one, find a user that's working. Yeah. Because the new parts we're getting are so trashy. Like I said, you may go through five meters before you find one that even works, even meets their specs. That's right. And then trying to return the one you just bought, most right. places won't take back won't an electrical, electrical part. parts. And the problem that you got, let's say you do have a bad airflow meter. Right. You go get another one, you put it on. Well, you still got the same problem. Well, it must not be that. So, so then we go you start in a, changing all kind of other junk. That's right. Because you don't have the wherewithal to determine, hey, this meter's off spec. That's right. You go out on a tangent and change oh, yeah. a whole bunch of other parts. Oh, I tell you. You, you can, end up with a big headache or a car that won't run anymore. That's right. You can really, really eat up a bunch, bunch of money. So let's go back to our phone lines with Chris. Good morning, Chris. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Look, I have a 2003 Pontiac Aztec. Okay. And when I take off from a dead stop, mm -hmm. I get a shutter sometimes before the transmission kicks in. What might that be? Well, that could be all kinds of things, Chris. One of the most common things would be a running problem, which I know it doesn't feel like. It's going to feel like a transmission problem. But if you have any kind of an engine running problem, it's going to make the transmission act real squirrely because the engine's controlling the transmission. So the first thing you want to do is make sure you have no types of engine running problems, any type of a little misfire, or anything like that. If it is a transmission problem, it's most likely going to be in what they call the torque converter lockup circuit. That could be something as major as a torque converter itself going bad, as minor as the control solenoid going to the torque converter, causing inadequate pressure. The only thing that I can think of simple that you could do would be to service the transmission properly. Sometimes when the fluid gets old, it starts to lose its lubricity, and when those clutches in the torque converter engage, they'll chatter. Sometimes a proper service will take that out. If it's time for a service anyway, then you're not going to really lose anything because it needed doing anyway. If it clears yeah. up the problem, you just it's just bonus. If it doesn't, then you got to look deeper. What we do at the shop is we put a pressure gauge on the transmission, and I can monitor the amount of pressure going to the clutches. If I've got inadequate pressure going to the clutches, then I know I'm into the control circuit. So the next thing I have to do is monitor what the computer is commanding. If it's commanding full pressure and I'm not getting full pressure, then I've got a solenoid or a mechanical problem in the valve body. Now, that can be fixed without taking transmission out. In other words, that can be addressed by just dropping the pan, dropping the valve body. If I do not have adequate pressure, then I've got something else. So that's the ways you have to go about diagnosing that. Okay, well, it's been going on a long time. Mm -hmm. I've already had the transmission service. Okay. It's been a little while, though. Okay, now, I did, did you have a proper service or did you have a flush done? Followed your instructions, uh, Lewis. Had a proper service okay. done. In fact, you did it okay. some time ago. And, okay. But it's been going on a long time, but it's starting to get a little worse. Yeah. And I'm 
Planning you, to take a long trip, so I'm thinking I, would I better look into this. I would suspect probably a solenoid or something. The transmission is hanging up. We've seen a fair amount of problems mm-hmm. with that on that transmission. I think it's a four T sixty five E transmission. We have seen a fair number of problems with that on that unit. Best thing is bring it in. Let's let Josh put a gauge on it. With one simple test, I can say hey, this is in the transmission or it's not. If it's okay, not, very good. I'll, I'll, I'll probably just call and make an appointment. That's right probably best because, Chris, it's going to get worse in time. It's going to end up costing you a whole lot of money if you put it off too long. Okay, okay. All righty. Thank you, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hi, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. Just go ahead and give us a call. And we've got Alan on the line. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Lewis. Yes, sir. I've got a teenage son okay. who is wanting to buy a used car. Okay. He was leaning towards a Honda Civic. Okay. And it has been eons since I bought a used car. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't sure what questions to ask, yes, what sir. things to watch out for on the Civic or anything else. Alan, I'll tell you what. If you go to my website, there's a section on buying used and new cars. And okay. there's tons of questions that you may not even think about that have already been answered. So first read through there. There's also a nice little checklist you can print out and take with you things to look at when you're looking at the car. So that's going to be probably really, really handy for you. Now, as a general rule on a Civic, most of the ones you can probably be looking at is going to be a couple, three, four, five years old. you got to remember at 90,000 miles or seven years, it's going to need a timing belt, which okay. is a relatively expensive thing, seven, $800 range. So if you're buying a car in that range, you need to ask and make sure that the timing belt has either been changed or that you allow enough money in your purchase price to allow to have that done because okay. that's a fairly major expense. Second thing uh, is... It's not a do-it-yourself right thing. If you're extremely handy, yeah, yeah but most do-it-yourselfers... Out of range of most do-it-yourselfers, yeah. I'd say. Okay. I mean, if you're real handy, real mechanically inclined, possibly. But again, there's a fair amount of labor involved, but there's also some fairly expensive parts involved. So you're still going to probably be up in the four or $500 range if you do it yourself. Gotcha. So it's just a fairly expensive thing. One other thing that would concern me just a little bit, and I'm not trying to poke fun at, at young people or anything, but... Young people tend to listen to other young people a lot. And Mm -hmm. when you buy the car, you don't want to buy a car coming from someone who's done a bunch of modifications on it. These little Civics you see, it's one of the favorite cars kids get, and they like to put those potato launches on them and put chips in them and all this kind of stuff. Right. Just make sure the car hadn't been tampered with because that is nothing but bad news. I mean, okay. if you look at it, it's got a big set of wheels on it or a different kind of air cleaner it's on lowered. it. Been lowered. Yeah. Any of that, that is a red flag, man. Just, you know, run away from that kind of thing. Okay. But, yeah, go to the website, download that checklist, read through there. That's going to give you a ton of information. That'll put you at the top 90% of, of car buyers in the United States, I can tell you. Okay. All righty. That's good. Thank you, Okay, much. Alan, thank you, man. Bye-bye. 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 If you want to part of the automotive buyer, we'd love to have you. George, you hang on. You'll be straight up after this break. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. It winds. I'm here with David, engineer, do-it-yourself mechanic, and actual Agco automotive customer. You got it. So, David, you own, like, 50-something cars? <laughs> Not that many. I have five. Some are for everyday driving, and then there's my 94 Olds Cutlass Supreme Convertible and 95 Thunderbird Super Coupe. Those are more for fun. And you do a lot of the work on them yourself. I do, but when it's out of my leg and I want it done right, I take my cars over to Agco. Wouldn't trust my cars with anyone else. So, listeners, if you're less like David and more like me, not automotively inclined... 
take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. So, David, I'd love to check out your 94 Cutlass. Really? Yeah. I figured we'd cruise around, listen to some of my Michael Bolton and Kenny G CDs. I'm more of an Aerosmith fan myself. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I see, yeah. So, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call. It's 499-9526. And we're going back to our phone lines with George. Good morning, George. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. All right, I have a 2004 F350 mm-hmm. 6.0. Okay. And at 3,000 RPM, mm-hmm. it starts losing power. Okay. Normally on those, George, it's going to be one of two things. Either you're losing boost on your pump, uh, losing fuel pressure, or you're losing air to the turbo or from the turbo. Now, one fairly common issue on that one, there's some hoses that come off that turbo output side that can come off or come loose or get cracked. And what happens is you're blowing the air underneath the hood of the truck instead of down into the engine so you're not getting your boost on it. There's actually a big tube that comes off of the intercooler and runs down into the engine. The original tube from Ford on the 6-liter was a metal tube with a rubber sleeve on either end of it. They had so much trouble with that, they revised that to a plastic tube. And check and make sure that that's not either off or loose, because you will definitely lose a lot of power when it is. Okay. So one way you can kind of look for those sort of things is if you like wet the palm of your hand to make it sensitive to air and then with the engine run just kind of run your hand over some of those things see if you feel any air pumping out of anything any any air leaking out of the intercooler or the turbo is going to cut your power way way down now if it's not that then you're going to have to have fuel pressure gauge and all that to diagnose your fuel pressure situation and they start to lose fuel pressure for any reason you that's the first step is you're going to lose power Okay, and it normally happens when my, my fuel filter is dirty, and I change the fuel filter on it probably every month now. Yeah, probably got a weak pump on it. When you're cleaning the filter, you're just kind of putting a little bit of extra inlet pressure to it. We have changed quite a few of those pumps uh, okay. for, for that problem. Is that a big job? Yeah, big, big. Oh, okay. Everything on a six liters big. <laughs> it wasn't one of Ford's best engines. They only kept it about three years because they had so much trouble with it, and they dropped it, went to the six four, and the six four is probably worse than the six zero was, in my opinion. But they should have kept the seven three. They had it going on with the old power stroke, you know. Right, that but, was the best. Yeah, I mean everything on those engines is pretty expensive. It's got an EGR cooler on that goes out a lot. That's really, I mean every. Just bought, there's nothing on that's not expensive. Oh, man. I don't want to tell you that, but <laughs> I just got to tell you the truth, you know. <laughs> if you need to get that, somebody let them check it for you. If, if it doesn't have a hose off, which is, I don't see how the fuel filter would affect it too much if it did. Probably going to be into a, a pump or something like that. Possibly an uh, injector going bad or injectors going bad. If you lose one injector at speed, too, you're going to really power down. Does it run real bad when it's cold? Yes, it does. That yeah. sounds like an injector going. Yeah, losing a, we one had one in the shop last week doing the same thing. Yeah. When it was cold, it really it wouldn't. Had no, it wouldn't get out of its own way in a parking lot when it was cold. And now, it once it warmed up, it, off, it would it yeah, would run, but it didn't run great. Up. Yeah, we ended up putting a set of injectors in, yeah. it, which again is pretty pretty, pretty big, big deal. I mean, you can change just the injector injectors that are bad, but 
the labor is pretty is, significant to get to them. And one is and bad. One's bad. The rest of them ain't too far behind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Thanks a lot. Okay. All right. Thank you, man. Bye bye. Right, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Mark online. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. I appreciate you taking my call. Thanks, sir. Too, Good morning. My 2002 Toyota Pre-Runner has got a 3.4 V6. Uh-huh. got a TRD supercharger, second generation, installed by Price Ball Shop. Okay. A few years ago, never had a problem one with it. Uh, everything else is stock. <clears throat> then I got a Magnaflow catback exhaust. Mm-hmm. Had that put on by a guy that knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Next day, I get a check engine light. It's a 420 code. Oh. <laughs> then I took it to my other go-to guy with Toyotas, and uh, we yeah. cleared out the ECU. We're looking at the output graphs on mm-hmm. the O2 sensors, mm-hmm. and everything looks good for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And then, boom, yeah. switches to an ugly, ugly waves. And uh, yeah. I've been around it back and forth. My suspicion is that nothing's really bad, but there's some kind of difference in the flange mount for the O2 sensor on the MagnaFlow. Exhaust. Well, any type of an exhaust system. leak is definitely going to yeah. cause you some problems. And it, it, are you leaking any exhaust at all? Well, I can't can really tell that I am. No, yeah, it, you can it, probably hear it if you were. Well, see, I don't know if there was maybe just a tiny difference between the way the, the old factory flange mount was and this new one on this MagnaFlow. Well, the, the only thing a flange can do would be to leak. And if it's yeah. leaking, you should be able to hear it. I mean, really? it should be, yeah, I mean, you should be able to hear exhaust gas coming Could out. Would it be like a micro leak just enough to no, throw off the no, pipe? No, um, no, You're not going to get enough leakage with something small enough where you can't hear it that's going to affect that O2 sensor. What I would probably do is put a, like I said, put a graphing meter on or a lab scope, watch the upstream and the downstream sensor patterns and see basically what you want is a pretty major difference. The upstream should be bouncing up and down, you know, crossing the midpoint regularly. The downstream should be relatively smooth. Generally, it's going to flag a 420 when the two sensors start to look alike. In other words, okay. the upstream is bouncing a lot and the downstream is bouncing a lot. It's going to flag a code. And that's because it thinks the cat's passing too much emissions. Now, it's totally possible that that converter just doesn't meet OBD2 standards. I mean, it's designed for performance. It may just not, you know, particularly if your vehicle is a California emissions vehicle. Yeah, it, it might be. If it is, see, that's programmed into the chip, and it's... Just it's got it's, to have that exact cat on there because it does have a pre catalytic. Yeah, I don't know if that was required for our state, but well, uh, it's not except that if the vehicle's designed that way, it's going to kick check engine light on, and that's what the state requires that check engine light be off. So we run across I, California vehicles all the time, even though yeah. they were delivered to Louisiana, it's still got to meet the California standard because the light's got to be off. What would y'all do with this truck? I mean, I would <laughs> in, a, in a budget-minded. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't fool with anything that's been modified, Mark. So I, you're talking if, to the wrong guy on well, that. Well, if you think that's it, put the old exhaust back on it. Yeah, if you still got your old exhaust, first thing put I do is pop on. the old exhaust in and see if the light well, goes I was out. Thinking, just put some new cats on there and uh, well, reset the whole thing and see what happens. Well, but you're not put sure. Put your old exhaust on there and see if it fixes it yeah, first. You're not then, sure the cats are bad. Yeah. So, so take your old exhaust that was working, put it yeah. back on the vehicle, and see if the problem goes away. Yeah. Then you know it's. If it does, then you know where you're going. Then if you want to okay. get more cats, and that's so you, fine. You know, but if you're just throwing cats at it, you could be throwing good cats at it all day long. Yeah. I see. And then the new cats you get may not meet the standard either. So, yeah. you know, then so, where do you yeah. go? So you got to go back to ground zero where the problem started first. I got you. Once you establish that fixes the problem, then you know it's a converter-type problem. Then next thing you just call people up and say, hey, guys, my check engine light's on now. I got a PO420 and see if there's first, maybe they've got an update or something they can send you. Okay. At low or no cost. That's the way I would try to address it. I got you. All right. I had, I had just one other time sure. question. 
I, what I've been doing is just pulling my EFI fuse to reset the system mm-hmm. just to clear the light because it comes on from day to day. But the thing I noticed that after I clear it, mm-hmm. my idle drops down. Right. Nice and yeah, low. well, it's going to. You clear, you clear the, the block learn on the, mem- on the idle. Yeah. Well, my question is how, if there's a way, can I keep it to maintain that low idle? Because it naturally will braise it over the time. Yeah, it's going to bring it back where it wants it. All it's doing is you're not learning idle. And it, once you lose idle, it's just going to stick it at some default reading. But it's going to eventually bring it back where it wants to be. See, I wish I could keep it low because it's much better. You can, it can make it crawl. You know, you put it in drive. And it just yeah, yeah and that's just not your choice, man. That's, that's programmed that's, in there. Okay. Yeah, you're, yep. you're not going to override that. I wish there was a way to do it. I guess the new ones, you just can't do it no more. No, no. It's going to mm-hmm. automatically bring it back where it wants it. Now, one thing exactly. you might just try is clean the throttle body on it. Because if the throttle body is dirty, when it relearns idly, it may set it higher than it necessarily needs it. Mm-hmm. Because when it's relearning, it's not closing the blade completely. So make sure the throttle blade is closing completely by cleaning it. And if mm-hmm. that doesn't do it, it's that's just where it's going to put it. And there's a special there's a special cleaner out for cleaning that throttle body. Yeah. Don't just go grab some brake cleaner and spray in there because right. you'll eat the anodization off of the throttle plate. Right. And you'll have a world of trouble yeah, after then that. The throttle body will start uh. leaking internally, and you really have trouble. Yeah. A new math sensor too, maybe might help it, huh? Man, I wouldn't start just throwing parts at. I go back no. first off and figure out where where the problem lies, and then go gotcha. from there. Man, I sure appreciate. Okay, it. Okay, Mark. Good luck to you, man. Bye. We're going to take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. I'm here with John, an actual Agco Automotive customer. I've been taking all of my cars to Lewis for a long time. I go in regularly for all changes, and if they notice anything else wrong, they let me know. It's just like going in for a checkup at the doctor. So you're saying the mechanics at Agco are like physicians? Car doctors. They don't ever miss a diagnosis. And I have three cars with over 100,000 miles on them. Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection. They'll check it out and even let you know if it's best to invest in repairs or possibly look for another vehicle. Yep, regular maintenance with Agco keeps my cars running fine. And regular checkups at the doctor keeps this old 80-year-old in good shape, too. You're 80? John, I hope I look that good when I'm your age. Well, son, I think it's kind of late for that. Oh, I see your wit's pretty sharp, too. So, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Join us as the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call? And we'll be glad to try to put you up at the top of the list and get your questions answered for you. That's right. And should you not want to call today or maybe think of something while we're off the air or right. even next week, mm-hmm. you can visit our website 24 hours a day, seven days a week, That's and get right. your questions answered. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A G C O. A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that's Altazan's Garage Company. There's three databases you can search on the site. One is the Agco questions. We pertain to Agco, like what kind of credit card take, what are your hours, why do you take appointments and not drop-ins, things of that nature. There's also the vehicle questions, which is a straight-to-the-point answer to a particular topic. Say you're looking for 
Give me something quick. My oh. mind went blank. <laughs> there was over 600 how, how, questions 615 there. 615 of them in there. How can I remove the pilot bushing from the crankshaft of my car? There you go. Because a puller won't pull it out. And it'll tell you that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of them is in there. Is it likely that I would have four out-around tires on my car? I've seen it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Even the guy that sold him the tires didn't believe it. That's right. I, in fact, we had a guy not too long ago came in with some out-around tires. All four of the tires were out-around, and I sent him back to the guy that sold it to him. Of course, as soon as he gets back, we had phones ringing. Says, When's the last time you saw four out-around tires on one car? I said, about 10 minutes ago when the guy left here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't know what to say. Yeah, don't, don't kill a messenger, man. <laughs> go look at the tires. You know? <laughs> Yeah, that's 615 questions in there. Those are the most common asked questions that we get. And you're probably going to find an answer to whatever you're looking for right there. Now, just in case you don't, or if you want more information on any given topic, there's a detailed topic section. Now, that's on the home page right at the bottom. There's a, about the 15 newest ones that I've added. Right. But if you look right up where it says detail auto topics, click on that. It'll bring up an archive of everyone that's in there. And there's probably close to 200 of those in there. Great. And that's a real in-depth article. In-depth Several article paragraphs. on a specific topic. Now, for instance, I just put one in there this morning. Generally, they all go on 5 o'clock on Saturday morning because that's when I get up and, <laughs> and put them on there. But there's one on there now on the General Motors clunk after you come to a stop. Right, and pickup you know, trucks. We get that. Well, any of the rear wheel drive vehicles, the Tahoes, the Suburbans, the pickups, right. uh, anything that's rear wheel drive, you come to a stop and it sounds like somebody banged you from the back when you let off the brakes. Mm -hmm. If you ever wonder what that is or what to do about it, there's an article in there with photos shows you what causes it, the theory behind it, how to fix it. Mm -hmm. if, if you want to try to do it yourself there or you if you want to know how it's fixed. But a real nice article called GM Clunk After Stopping. There's also one on dark transmission fluids, which shows you different color samples of different types of automatic transmission fluids. What's mm. a problem? What's not a problem? Right. What what, what's mean. bad and what's not? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times we get folks in and they'll say, well, someone told me my fluid was dark. Well, right. that may or may not mean anything. I've seen them dark right out the bottle. Right. A lot of the newer synthetic fluids, like Dextron 6, is real dark. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's almost a purple, a violet color. Uh, right out of the bottle so if someone sees it they're gonna tell you it's dark but it's not it's just that's the color of the fluid it's just a different type of dye in there another one on frame repair the good the bad and the ugly and it tells you about frame repair and about how it can be done right and how it can be done wrong right and it's very easily to do it wrong that's right probably easier to do it wrong than it is to do it right yes, no, <laughs> most definitely Another one here called Don't Buy It which is talking about the extended oil change intervals and why you don't want to bite in on that what it's going to cost you down the road mm -hmm. so all those all those articles are house written yeah and all the photography right is taken right there in the shop right anytime we get an interesting car in i generally as you will oh, know yeah. i'm pop out there with the camera and i'm shooting some pictures of it and i've got a collection of photographs that i've shot i don't use them all right away it may be a year before i use that photograph but we try to take pictures of a lot of stuff that comes through pretty commonly and then i'll incorporate an article and put it in so Pop on there and see what you think. It's www.agcoauto.com, agcoauto.com. Lots and lots and lots of people who look at that. And, of course, it's a particularly good resource for the folks of Baton Rouge. But we have over 200 people a day that go to that site. From uh, everywhere in the world. Right. We're fast approaching a million viewers. I think 959,137 hits on there. So <laughs> not far from a million hits on that site, which is pretty good for a local site. Right. So pop on there and see what you think. I think you'll really enjoy it. Get a lot of good information, save you some money, maybe keep you from making a mistake or two. That's the most important. That's the most inexpensive way to go for sure. Hey, let's go back to our phone lines with Craig. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, guys. Yes, good morning. Doing great, sir. 
good. I got a 2002 Chevrolet. I keep having a check engine, or not check engine, but coolant low light coming on. Okay. okay. Monitored it for about a month now, parking under the patio. Uh-huh. See a drip or anything. Right. Is the coolant getting low, Craig? Yes, it is. I'm having to top it off. Okay, and that's uh-huh. a 5.3 liter engine? Yeah. Okay. One real big problem that they have on those engines, Craig, and I'm not saying this is a problem with yours. But we've run across this a number of times. Mm-hmm. General Motors has a bulletin out. They had some of their cylinder heads that had porosity in the casting. Okay. What it's going to do is it's going to leak all, uh, excuse me, leak coolant into the oil. Now the okay. oil can contain a surprising amount of coolant. Okay. I mean, you will not see it just by looking at a dipstick. If right. you pull the valve covers off, it's going to look like a chocolate milkshake inside of one of them. Uh, and okay. without an oil analysis, you really won't see it in the oil. I mean, you'd be amazed at how much coolant oil can hold. Now, it destroys the lubricating ability of it, but it won't show up as far as looking at it. Right, and I'm using synthetic oil in there. Well, been in there since 03. So. That's good, but if it's leaking coolant in there, it's going to eventually destroy your engine. And we okay. run across this I don't know how many times. The only thing I don't understand about that, GM's got a bulletin saying, hey, we screwed up, we made these heads wrong, yeah, 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 here's a new head number. And you say, okay, what are you going to do about it? Absolutely nothing. Say another head. Right. There is no warranty, there's no recall, there's no nothing. I mean, other than the 336 that you got on the truck. Yeah. But it's real important if it's absolutely not leaking on the outside, that's the first place I would look. It's not hard to pull those valve covers off. Okay. And if you pull your two valve covers and one of them, like I said, looks like a chocolate milkshake inside because it'll emulsify whatever sludge buildup there is in there. Right. And it's you got to know where to look to find it, but it's a tiny crack of porosity generally between the center head bolt on the first row of bolts. Okay. And you got to change the cylinder head to fix it. But now, if, you, if you don't, you're going to end up buying an engine. Now, something yeah. else you may want to look at is the top of the transmission housing, mm-hmm. the back of the motor. Yeah. A lot of times you'll get a coolant leak there, and the transmission is hot enough till it boils off and it doesn't hit the ground. Right. You can right. also look at the water pump. The gaskets are bad about leaking at the water mm-hmm. pump. Yeah. They're not going to leak a lot, but they'll leak enough to let the coolant get down. Right. And the, f- and the fan, fan and the, blows the, it back on the motor. The, will right. blow it back, and it won't drip. Okay. Yeah. So there's several check, places check you need to check. stuff first. Yeah. We change more water pump gaskets than we do yeah. water pumps. Yeah, they use a really cruddy gasket on those, and it leaks yeah. between the block and the pump. It's not a paper gasket anymore. It's a set of O-rings on a steel plate. Right. Uh, and okay. the, the machine work, yeah, what you might want General do, Motors Craig, machine work ain't worth a darn. Yeah, you might bring it to the shop. We can pressure test it and tell you where it's mm-hmm. leaking, even if you want to try to fix it yourself, but at least we could identify okay. it for you. All right. All righty. How much would it be on a, like a head gasket change-out? Pretty big deal. Yeah. Pretty big, big deal. deal. Yes, yeah. sir. Yes, sir. Okay. 10, 15 hours and probably $600, $700 for the head. If you're yeah. going to go to pulling a valve cover, I'd suggest pulling the, path, the driver's valve cover first. Yeah, for some reason. For some reason, reason that like, head seems which, to be the problem, the driver's side. Driver's side? Yeah, uh-huh. it could be either one because they use the same head on each side, but for some reason, out of all, all the ones we've we seen, most of them have been the driver's head. Yeah. And you got the oil cap right there on the passenger side, so you can kind of pull it and take a flashlight and look down in it. Right. But there's the only way to get in the other valve covers through the PCV valve, and it's all the way in the back. And I'm right. not sure if it show up anything. on the valve. No. Okay. All right. Well, I'm gonna check the easy ones. If I can't do it, I'll bring it in to y'all. Okay, Craig. Sounds, Sounds good, great, man. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we've got Mario online. Good morning, Mario. Hey, Luis. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Good. Something's been bothering me for a long time. Yes, about a 95 S10 with a water pump problem, too. And they changed the water pump, and they charged me the labor for the water pump. They charged me the labor to change the thermostat. And that kind of made me feel like it should have been all in one. Well, not on that one, it's not. The, 
the thermostat is mounted up on top of the motor and the water right. pump's in the front of the motor. It's All two right. separate now, labor operations. There might be a, a reduction of the amount, or you wouldn't get charged full labor for both. Uh, well, I, I don't know. It's been years ago, and it's just kind of stuck in my crop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's legitimate. It would not be legitimate to charge you to change the belt if you change the water pump, uh-huh. because obviously the belt has to come off. And on a late model Chevy pickup, like with a 5.3, mm-hmm. the thermostat's in the water pump. Yeah, okay. So on that one, it wouldn't be. Yeah, but on the little S10, that probably was a 4.3 liter, your thermostat's on top of the motor under the radiator hose, and the water pump's all the way on the front of the motor. So there's no shared labor between the two of them. All right, then. That's satisfying. All right, sir. Thank you, sir. All Thank right. you. Bye-bye. All right. You want to be part of the automotive hour? And we got Bruce online. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. How are hey, you doing? Good, good morning, great, sir. Just got a follow-up question about the cracked heads. Yes, right. 5.3. Yes, I've got a 4.8. Is there any problem with them? Same basic engine, same the cylinder same head. head. Yeah. For some reason, Mr. Bruce, we see that more on the avalanches than anything else, although we have done some pickups as well. I just did a Z71 the other day. But, yeah, the 4860 and 5.3 are all basically the same exact engine. I'd have to pull a bullet. There's a GM bulletin out on it. It tells you what VIN numbers and all. Are possibly affected by it already and uh, no lost my train of thought. <laughs> uh, it's covered under the normal 336 warranty those if you figure it out that you, that's the problem you got before 36,000 miles they'll, well, they'll fix it but that's it it's supposed to be warranted to a hundred thousand miles yeah internally lubricated components uh, oh uh, yeah <laughs> redefine print uh-huh. redefine print yeah uh-huh. okay well thank you all right all right thank you bye-bye if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. I got a 2004 Toyota Tacoma uh-huh. four-cylinder. Yes, sir. Transmission slips every now and then just when you stop and you go to take off. It hesitates and then grabs and goes. Everywhere I go, they say the transmission fluid needs to be changed, but nobody wants to change it. I'm just curious why. Sometimes it makes it work, ride it out, but the bad, the blue. Well, no, I mean, if it's slipping, David, that's going to be a problem. I mean, it's going to tear your transmission up. Now, a lot of things feel like a slip and really aren't a slip. Okay. If you watch your tachometer when you take off and the tachometer jumps way up and the car doesn't move, that's a slip. Okay. But if you have something like, say, a dirty airflow meter, when you give it the gas, the engine's going to bog down. It's not going to go, even though you're giving it gas, and it's going to feel very much like a slip. But it's an engine-type problem. Okay. So you need to get a good diagnosis on it. Does it do it every single time or just about every single time? No, that seems to be, uh, you know, first thing in the morning sometimes when it's cold. Yeah. Um, but then sometimes during the day I'll stop at the red light, go to take off, and it'll just hesitating and yeah, take off. You the, know, the first thing I would want to check on that thing, David, is to make sure the fluid level is full on that transmission. And I know four shops have checked it, but there's not a day of the week that goes by that someone doesn't come in thinking they got a transmission problem. And what we find is they got a small leak and they're low on fluid because it's difficult to check that fluid properly. In fact, I've got an article on the website called Checking Transmission Fluid that gives you a lot of tips on how to check it. Or you could bring it to us and I could check it for you. As far as servicing it, it's no big deal. I mean, that one service is just like everything else, and a service is certainly not going to hurt it. But Well, then the shops always say, well, we don't want to take a chance, and then, you know, we change the fluid and it does worse and be responsible for it. Well, I mean, you got to understand that going in, if, if it's failing and I change the fluid, it's not going to make it not fail. Right. It's just, just something you can try that may or may not help, but, and maybe they're just scared from that respect. But it's, it's kind of like servicing a transmission on a car that's got 150,000 miles never been serviced. People right. are scared to service it because chances are that transmission is already damaged because it's never been serviced. 
You service it, a month later it goes out. The guy's always going to say, well, if I hadn't serviced it, it wouldn't have went out. It ain't the service made it go out. It's 150,000 miles without a service. Right, and it was going out anyway. Yeah, that's right. right so right. you get that. You know, guy smokes for... 120,000, a little over Yeah, yeah I mean, a, a proper service can never, ever, ever hurt the transmission. And it okay. can buy you some time. Well, I sure appreciate so, it. All righty. You have a good day. Thank, Thank you. you, sir. Bye-bye. You. All right, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Randy online. Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Lewis. How are you guys doing? Doing great, doing sir. Doing great. We got a... 2002 Chevy Silverado 1500 Heavy Duty. Yes, sir. And a friend of mine told, was following me the other day on the interstate and uh-huh. told me that the rear end was not tracking in line with the front end. Is that alignment issue that can be uh, no. fixed? No. That uh-huh. is more than likely going to be some kind of frame damage. Yeah. Because you got a solid rear axle in that truck, and unless it is shifted on one of the springs, there's no way to set the tracking on that vehicle. What usually causes tracking to get off is if you get in an accident, one of the rails... One of the frame rails goes back further than the other one. It takes mm-hmm. that rear end and it cocks, cocks it, it to the side. So it and tracks so crooked. It, they call it dog tracking. Right. That's almost always going to be a rear problem when you have a dog right. tracking issue. Well, vehicle's never been wrecked. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's why I was wondering. If- yeah. I've seen some Ford vans. That's just the way they're built. They yeah, look like that. They just look like they're that. not they're tracking not off, tracking but they look off. like it. Pretty simple. Uh-huh. If you bring it to us, I can measure it and tell you if it's tracking off or not, and I can tell you if it's tracking off. Why it's tracking off. I've seen the center pin, the bolt that comes up through the center of that leaf spring where it lines it to the rear end will shear off. Let's say somebody threw a chain under there and tried to pull something out of something and pulled on it and sheared that pin off. That can happen. That'll make them dog track. I've seen the bushing go out. And if anything that causes the rear housing, cock in there can do that. Now, also, one thing you might just check, Randy, uh, have you ever changed any of the wheels on the truck, the rims themselves? No, not the rims. Okay, because I was say, I've seen an odd rim get put on a truck, and the offset's different. It makes it look like it's tracking off when it isn't. No, it's original factory rims on the Yeah, the I would just want to check. a little che- bit bigger. Yeah, I would want to check first and make sure it is tracking off. That's a real simple test that we can run. Probably takes about, what, 20, 30 minutes at if most that. to measure and tell you if it is tracking off or not. And if it is, maybe another half hour to tell you why. You know, under an hour, I can tell you everything you want to know about okay. that frame. Yeah, and I, I don't know how pronounced it was. He just told me it wasn't tracking straight. So well, I don't know a lot of if times it's severe too. Or minor. Well, it, if you don't know what you're looking at, and you're sitting, you see, he's sitting all the way to the left side of the truck. He's looking at your truck. It can look like they're off under certain circumstances. We've had people come in with cars thinking they're tracking off, and they're not. So I would, if it concerns you, I would probably get it checked just to see what it is. I mean, would you normally, would you experience uneven tire wear? Or something no, like no that? not with dog tracking. All that's going to happen, it's if the rear end the- cocks, you're going to turn the steering wheel the same amount, and it's just going to go sideways down the road. But all four wheels rolling straight, they're just not straight with the body. I got it. Okay. All well, right. thank you, gentlemen. Okay, All sir. right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, we'll take one last little break. We'll be right back with more on the automotive. <laughs> I'm here with Stuart, life insurance rep and Agco Automotive customer. That's me. So, Stuart, as an Agco customer driving a car with 245,000 miles, you believe in preventative maintenance, right? I sure do. You know, having your car checked out annually can prevent major repairs, just like an annual insurance review. That reminds me of the old insurance story about the poor lady at her husband's funeral who asked her agent about death benefits. And he informs her that old Joe's first wife is still the beneficiary. Oh, an annual review would have helped, huh? That's why Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection to get an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs needed to help keep your car running. Oh, I'm definitely a believer. So, on another note, my wife wants to increase my life insurance policy by a couple million. 
Should I be worried? All I can say is some flowers and a gift card to the spa couldn't hurt. Mmm, good point, Stuart. For the rest of you out there, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan from Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, here in the co-pilot seat. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you might have. We're getting a little short on time, but we're going to try to catch Mike real quick. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing? Doing good great, morning. Sir. I got a 2006 GMC 5.3 liter. It's yes, just a motor that I bought off of a guy. Uh-huh. I took the engine apart, and it's got one piston that disintegrated and tore up the ride. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of wondering what would cause that problem because there's nothing else wrong internally inside the engine other than the head being a little beat up from the you know parts flying around in it. Yeah, it's kind of hard, Mike, to do a post mortem on that. There's so many possibilities. Sometimes something as simple as somebody was working on it and dropped the bolt down the intake. I've seen that happen over yeah. and over again. It could have had a coolant leak and coolant got into the cylinder and hydrolocked the cylinder could be somebody tried to gap the spark plug and it's an iridium plug it's not supposed to be gapped so they broke the little tip and it broke off and dropped down in there could be the engine was over revved and that piston just happened to hit a valve and when it did it disintegrated so there's tons and tons and tons of things could even be just a defective piston from the factory it just took a few miles to let go okay would you, would you uh say it'd be safe to put another riding piston back in there and try that motor out really kind of doubt it. I'm almost sure you're going to have a damaged cylinder for sure. You're going to have to check that real, real close. If it busted the rod and piston, that rod I'm doesn't sure. stop. It's going up and down, scratching the devil out of that cylinder. Now, there is a procedure where they can go in and sleeve the cylinder. That's where they bore it out oversized, hammer a sleeve down into it, which gives you a new surface. But probably by the time you go to that extent, you could almost buy another motor. Those motors are relatively inexpensive because they're very, very plentiful. Yeah, well, I got it for a really good price, and I figured if nothing else, you know, I could probably sell the heads off of it. And get yeah, you could probably use it. some parts off of it or yeah. something. But, I mean, you could generally buy those engines with relatively low mileage in the six, seven, dollars $800 range. Really? Yeah, I mean, that's, when I've ever looked for them, they just they made millions of them. And they last a long time, so there's lots of them out there. Well, just call around and see. You could probably find one that's in better shape. I just think you could spend more money trying to bring this one into shape than you could get one that wasn't damaged already. All right. All righty. All right, thank you. Okay, Mike, thank you, man. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we've got John's been patiently holding. Good morning, John. Good morning, sir. Yes, sir. I got a 99 Toyota Corolla. Okay. And the problem is it's getting a 420 code. Okay, PO 420. Yeah, that's yep. a catalyst below efficiency. Exactly. There are about two or three things that can cause that code. The number one, obviously, is that the catalyst itself is below efficiency, and they right. have had some problems with that. The second is the downstream O2 sensor and the upstream O2 sensor look at each other and compare their signals. That's the way Toyota's strategy is to check that. Now, the upstream sensor is supposed to be sweeping back and forth 256 times. In other words, it goes from rich to lean, rich to lean, rich to lean, average being 128. The downstream sensor should stay pretty much steady, just like a, almost like a sine wave type pattern. Right. The reason being the catalyst is eating up all the rich lean, rich lean stuff in between. That's how it knows it's efficient. So what Toyota programmed in is that if these two sensors show a great deal of difference between them, then the catalyst is okay. If they look alike, then the catalyst is bad. Now, the kicker is this. Let's say the upstream O2 sensor goes bad and it's no longer producing the up-down spike like it should, but just producing a sine wave. 
it will compare those two sensors and say, hey, they look alike, bam, set a 420 code. Right. So it doesn't mean the catalytic converter itself is bad, but that is normally what it means. Now, a couple of other things there, John. Converters are generally are designed to last the life of the car. When they go bad, there's normally a reason they went bad. And it's wise to go in and figure out what that reason is if you don't want to be buying another one in another X number of miles. Right. One of the leading causes and what Toyota said it contributes to the problem they're having is people were using the wrong oil in the engine. Most of those call for 5W30 now, and people right. like using 10W30 for whatever reasons and, and different viscosities. The problem is when you go to the thicker oil at low temperature, like 10W30, it becomes more volatile. What that means is as the crankshaft beats through the oil, it produces more fumes. Those fumes are scavenged through the PC system and burned in the converter. That raises the temperature to converter considerably and causes it to fail. Right. That's why they went to 5W30, and subsequently they went to 5W20, is to protect the catalytic converter. Hmm. So you want to make absolutely sure, without any regard to what any oil change guy tells you, you put the right oil in that thing. Yeah, well, I do all the oil change. It's got 530 in it. Okay. okay. did sit up for about a year. Yeah, well, that's real bad on them. And also, if you get something like an oxygen sensor that's bad, that can cause the catalyst to fail. Because the oxygen sensor is basically what sets the fuel-air mixture, one of the things. Right. And if the engine runs too rich at all, that extra gas is going into that converter, and it's going to raise the temperature just astronomically. Right. In other words, you're basically adding fuel to the fire. Exactly. Most likely, it's going to be a converter. Now, does it have one converter or two on it? I believe it's two converters, and they're, you know, it's all welded in one thing. Okay. Some of them, a lot of the Toyotas have two separate converters on them. And Toyota's policy is, hey, you change both of them every time, but if you price them yet, you know that's pretty pricey. Right. What I have done, and this is probably not the right thing to tell you, but I've done it a lot, is change the less expensive of the two. Because what the fumes are doing is they're going through one and they're going through the other. If you raise the efficiency on either one, a lot of times it will put you over the threshold and it'll kick the light off and it'll work fine. Right. I know on my Land Cruiser there was two of them on there. One was $300, one was $1,200. So guess which one I changed? Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> and it fixed it just fine. You well, know? you can get them. I've seen it on the Internet where you can get the whole assembly complete for 200 bucks. Yeah, and you know, I've seen those things. We change those constantly. I've got a dumpster out back full of those. They, <laughs> they usually either don't work even right out the box, or if they work, they work for a couple of months. On some cars, the aftermarket stuff works okay. On Toyota, I just have not had any luck with it at all. Almost everybody I know that buys them ends up throwing away 200 bucks or 250 bucks with the shipping and stuff. They just don't work. Right. Uh, well, it's got 130,000 miles on it, so I'm thinking it's more than likely the converter. It probably is, even though they should last a lot longer than that. When it's sitting up and with all the other stuff, it's, it's definitely possible it could have happened. Another thing, of course, any kind of impact to it, because it's made out of ceramic, so if you if you run over something, something hits it. It's gonna it's gonna wrap, rupture that ceramic, and the catalyst is gonna start falling out, and right. they'll fail. But what you might want to do is go ahead and just price from Toyota how much they are, and if the two pieces are available separately. And if they are, I would probably replace the least expensive for the two and see what happens. All right. Alrighty. Sounds like good advice. Thank okay, you, John. Thank you, man. Bye bye. Of course, you didn't get a chance to call in today. You didn't get your questions answered. That's right. You can always visit the website and get your questions answered there. It's www agcoauto.com that's a-g-c-o-a-u-t-o.com mm -hmm. there's a contact bar on every page you can send lewis an email any time of the day or night and he'll get it back to you within 24 hours right. and that's something i really don't mind doing the only thing is that a lot of times folks will come by the shop to ask me questions or call on the phone to ask me questions and i don't mean to be rude but i do a radio show to answer questions i've got a website to answer questions i just can't stop because i'm working on people's cars 
they're paying me for my time, and I just it's not fair to them for me to stop and answer questions because and 100% of my time is occupied. That's it. Me. There's five of us handing him work orders every few minutes. So right. Things are getting done pretty quick and pretty regular there. Right. And then, like I say, we don't mean to be rude, but I just can't answer questions during the week. So please don't call me. Please don't stop by and ask questions. But you can get your questions answered on the website. Absolutely. Go ahead and pop on there, hit contact, send me an email. That way, in the afternoon, when I get a breather, I can sit down and I'll write a detailed answer. Don't mind doing that at all. But that's the way to get it done. That's right. We don't mind that. Or, of course, you can always wait till next Saturday morning and call in on the radio show. Yep. That way, everybody benefits from your questions. That's right. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. And also the podcasters that are listening That's right. all the time. All around the country and all around the world. We want to tell them how much we appreciate them listening. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.